Hayden Thompson here and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place and I'm excited to have you here. G'day and welcome to episode 90 where today I have guests Brian and Mandy DeWitt from the Riverside Cranberry Farm. Now, in the same vein as two previous produced episodes that I've recently had with Jeff Ball from Thrive Provisions and Brad and Sheila from Natural Farmworks, today's chat with Brad and Mandy revolves around the background story of the Riverside Cranberry Farm and the brand that has been built around their cranberries called The Bog. Cranberries, like many crops, are typically sold as a commodity and pulled into the Ocean Spray Co-op. However, Brian and Mandy have made the bold decision to shift away from this model and sell 60% of their crop independently, offering their cranberries and products to retail grocery stores, wholesalers, distributors, and direct to the consumer through their farm stand and their online store. We touch on some really interesting history of the commercialization of cranberry growing, various cranberry varietals, the typical harvesting process, their products and brand development, and some critical decisions that have shaped their business model to date. Enjoy. Brian, Mandy, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you guys here. I've actually um, had a bit of a run on of having some great conversations with some producers uh, that have sort of got a, a very much um, the same approach to you and getting either direct to consumers or um, selling wholesale. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Well, likewise. Yeah, cheers. So listen, uh, we met at the uh, the Ground Up Trade Show um, that Andrea Gray Grant put on with her team a couple of months back, and it was a pleasure to actually put a face to the name. And in fact, Brian, I met you um, back in 2020 when I first started at Food Pack. I went on a valley trip out there with Mikhail, and uh, and I've actually been to your um, to your farm, which is a beautiful little place in the world. Yeah, we get a lot of compliments on where we live, and yeah, you know, we did we didn't. We didn't plan on being here like it just happened We're, we've been here for 40 years with the family and yeah yeah just a progression of taking over part of my dad's land and part of a neighbor's yeah neighbor's property and and growing the farm uh that's great and i'm sure we'll get stuck into that um component of the conversation today but the really cool thing was it was the first time i've actually been on a cranberry farm so actually see you know the cranberries growing and they're such a low-lying shrubby sort of um plant i didn't expect that at all so We'd love to kick off into that, but I always like to start the conversation with where are you both from? Where'd you grow up? <laughs> we grew up right here. Right, Smack Bay. Like, you haven't moved. Just moved across well, the road. <laughs> uh, well, a little bit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but but yes, Surrey Langley's always been our home. Um, you know, my my grandparents moved into this area in the 50s, and yep. you know, my dad started farming on actually on Barnston Island and in, uh, in the Fraser River. Uh, through the 70s and then in the 80s we moved into the Fort Langley area and we've been here ever since yeah yeah and have you noticed and, a lot of change over the years as well yeah some I guess you know over 40 years when I look back yeah there's definitely been a lot more development in terms of smaller properties just becoming column estates yeah, uh, yeah. a lot less a lot less farming on farmland yeah um, but yeah. yeah the rural area I'd say it's kind of stayed 
relatively the same. I grew up actually in the Willoughby area, which is massively changed. Okay. I, I grew up on like two and a half acres and it was yep. like old bush. And now it's like condos and yeah. like high dense res, yeah, um, yeah. massively changed. So my, like where I grew up is completely different than now. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful part of the world. Like that whole Valley, like the views that you've got, you know, leading all the way up to Chilliwack and beyond is just stunning. And um, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, we went camping up in the, um, up on, uh, what was the name of the lake? Hicks Lake, uh, just yeah. east yeah. of Harrison Hot Springs. We went up there. So we drove through the Valley and we went, took a couple of back roads and it's stunning. Like all of the little fruit stands and it's a really special part mm. of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So I see, I spent a little bit of time on your website, so I've done some digging and I see you guys have got quite a large family. So an amazing place to bring up the kids too. <laughs> yep. Yes. You definitely need space when there's five kids running around. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. So let's dig into that. So when was child number one? How old is he? He's 16 now. 16. So, yeah. Okay. 2006. 2006. Yes, yeah. And your youngest? She's five. Okay. Yeah. Quite the spread. All right, cool. So you guys are just coming through the hardest of it right now, sort of age five. My son's about to turn, um, he is about to turn five in September, which is really exciting. And my daughter's two and a half turning three in October. So yeah, we're sort of in the thick of it, sort of just things are just starting to get easy out of diapers, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. But then I guess having a teenager is a whole different ball game, isn't it? Yeah, we've got two of them. So Yeah, we got a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and then we got the 11, and then our daughters are eight, and then five. She'll be six in September as well. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's quite the range, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> keep your toes. It, it is nice though uh, with the teenagers, right? Like being able to to have them, you know, work on the farm as yeah. well. Yeah, it yeah. takes a bit of pressure off during the busy season, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, but like it's great for, you know, establishing a work ethic from a young age and, you know, a, you know, yeah. a certain element of responsibility and well, the burden of responsibility on their shoulders, even though they might not like it. And in fact, I grew up <laughs> in my parents' business as well. I started working from the age of 12. Um, I was in the dish pit and then I worked my way up onto the grill and it's awesome. Like I look back on those years with the fondest of memories and I think it really does sort of ingrain a work ethic in you. So you guys are definitely onto a good thing with that are they do they love it like do they love being on the farm is it something that they're into are they like i don't want to do this well the the irony is so my oldest boy when he was 11 or 12 all his friends lived in town in subdivisions and you know they all lived close together they played ball hockey yeah you know they'd stay after school play basketball stuff like that and he was always on the bus you know 45 minute drive out to the farm and he never had that now though he's he's completely into the outdoors he, he mm. he's a fishing addict so mm-hmm. we've got a creek in our backyard that he fishes we got the fraser river on the other property line that he's out there. i mean he's probably four days a week he's fishing How in the in the afternoons and stuff like that right so he yeah. i don't i don't think he's going to look back on where he lived and and be disappointed at yeah. all yeah yeah and and i actually see a, a, a lot of similar traits to to myself at yeah. that age because i was that age when we were living here yeah and i was doing the same things yeah. yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, it's, it's living with space like this is yeah. awesome for, for yeah. the kids. It's yeah. just great. It's really all they know too. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, of course. It's, yeah. it's not really like they can compare it. I mean, other than their friends. Yeah. yeah. And like Caleb, our oldest, definitely. It was kind of a funny moment because we were like, you don't realize what you have. And then now he can see it. But yeah, at that time he was quite like ah, yeah. frustrated by the fact that we were a little out of the way. But, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, we could go down a whole rabbit hole of like raising children and all of that kind of stuff, but I think oh, that yeah. getting them outdoors every day, bare feet, get them dirty. Like it's the way to go. And uh, yeah, my wife and I, we really take a, a focused effort on getting them out multiple times a day. And the lucky thing is we live in, in Richmond, but we're in Terranova. So that sort of North uh, Western pocket, and there's a whole nature park there and we're out there. If not every day, it's every second day. And, uh, mm. and they love it. Tadpoles, yeah they're just running around yeah. after butterflies. It's so funny right now, like anything yeah. will take their attraction, like squirrels and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah I know that my son, he talks about fishing. And when we were up at, um, up the lake a couple of weekends ago, um, BC fisheries had like a little class on and they had a ton of fishing rods and a couple of young dudes out to sort of teach people how to fish. So we took the opportunity and it was a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Oh, nice. yeah it was good. Yeah, good. So cranberries. All right. So it looks like it was something that you guys didn't always do because I understand, Brian, that your dad had cattle. Is that correct? Yeah, I grew up on a dairy farm and, yeah. and then we always had hogs as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, cranberries is, is kind of a weird one, you know, like I was I've been fascinated by cranberries from from like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 93, in when I graduated from high school, I, I worked on a dairy farm for three years and right across the road, there was a 160 acres of bush that slowly over those three years got got transformed into a cranberry farm. Uh, I never got to see them actually get to a production phase on that farm, but it was it was just fascinating to watch the whole process. And uh, you know, it was kind of stuck with me. And then I got into my travel years. You know, went and visited a bunch of countries, came back, and finally had to settle down. And and it was right around the time my dad decided to sell his his cows and quota and he still had all of his land um, tied in with ocean spray coming to, well, they were already here for with existing farms, but they were looking for more acreage to, to meet their, their future expansion plans. And we picked up a contract for 20 acres of cranberries on a piece of his land mm-hmm. and developed that in 1999. And, you know, thus started the journey and the intense learning curve in the beginning of making mistakes and figuring out what worked and what didn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then 10 years later or 20 years, yeah, 10 years later, roughly, uh, we got the opportunity to, to start up our own farm on another piece of my dad's land and buy the neighbor and build that out. And that's our existing farm today. Yeah. And yeah. my dad still farms cranberries across the road. He's got 20 acres and my brother's just down the road with another 15 acres. Okay. Are they considered large farms, like large cranberry fields? No. 20 acres, yeah. that small, is it? Okay. No. So we have 35 acres yeah. on our farm. Um, I'm going to say in BC, average farm here is probably in the 60 to 80 acre range. Okay. There's, like there's some well-established families. Yeah. Got, yeah. yeah okay. There's some well-established families that have big acreages. Like yeah. they've been doing it for 40 years when land was cheap and they just, they made good yeah. money and they just kept buying and building, buying and building. So, yeah. you know, biggest farm here is 1,500 acres. Wow. Okay, cool. So um, obviously, you know, the scale of the farm, obviously, you know, with the scale of the farm also goes the scale of, you know, the infrastructure required to process all of those cranberries and, you know, the amount of employees that you need to hire to harvest and all of that kind of stuff. Do you Are you happy with the sort of the size that you've got because you can sort of manage it on your own or is it sort of at a point right now where you're like, we need to keep scaling to keep up or how are you guys sort of um in that space scaling up is only really a requirement in terms of investing in in the processing equipment but you know we took a we took a path that 
allowed us to just have a farm that I could manage on my own with, yeah. you know, in the busy periods, the boys helping. And we let somebody else put in the million dollars worth of processing equipment, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't need that, at least not yet. But if, you know, if we can just have a good relationship with the processor, mm-hmm. they either buy our fruit from us or they clean it and we, we find our own buyers for it. That's a, that's a great way to do it. Yeah. I don't need to tie up all my capital in, in a plant that works for three months of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good right? way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Hey, got yeah. a question for you. I've always wanted this as I've been driving past cranberry fields. So you've got a, a field that may be developed into a, a cranberry field, right? Mm-hmm. Are you digging down and building a pit or are you building a dike around it? Which way? Yeah, build a dike or build a dike around it. Okay. Generally, yeah. you level, you level yeah. it out first. Level it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We were talking about that. Like all the land we were talking about developing and stuff, everything that we use for our dikes is yeah. the land that was there, like the dirt. We didn't bring anything really no, in. We yeah. used the topography of the, the farm here. Mm-hmm. So some of it was already existing as extremely flat, but you mm-hmm. know, and then one section had a three foot slope to it. So we mm-hmm. literally took the center point as the medium and mm-hmm. flipped half of it from one side to the other. And we ended up with a level field. Yeah, that makes sense. The advantage to that is all of our fields are actually at different elevations, so we can move water from one field to the next. Oh, without cool. Pumping. Yeah, yeah, right. Just gravity feeding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is yeah, that, that something that's well. typical on the farms, or is like that's... no, no, okay, no, no. Most most farms they tend to have very flat level fields. Yeah, they have to pump all their water. Yeah, it doesn't always work exactly like that too. It sort of depends on what bog's ready to go first, too, right? Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. You can say, oh, we can start on the top yeah, one, but if it's not ready, exactly. it's yeah. not ready. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Is that what a field's yeah. called? A cranberry field's called a bog? We call them bogs. Yeah. Bogs, marshes. Here. Marshes yeah. is more out east. Um, yeah. But yeah, bog. That's, yeah, that's why the name. <laughs> yeah, I was here we, we call them yeah. bogs. Yeah. yeah. But okay. Like Mandy said, uh, the States is mostly a marsh. Yeah. Some places they call them fields. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the bog. And then that's where the name came from. Yeah. But being Australian, you must have wondered what the heck you were thinking. <laughs> I was. <laughs> because the bog a has a totally that. different terminology. Uh, yeah, it, it does. Yes, yeah. yes, it does. You guys must really your, think highly of your farm. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a little shack that we do our uh, fresh sales out. It's like yeah. an honor system one. And yeah. we joke because it's. We yeah. call it the outhouse. Yeah. The bog shack. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. The bog shack. <laughs> it's actually called the bog, the bog cran shack. <laughs> That's great. All right, cool. Now, hey, I'd love to get a little bit of the sort of the cranberry history from you guys because obviously this is a crop that's been commercialized so that you know you can you know harvest large quantities to feed the masses i'm a sh- i'm like everything at one point it was a you know a plant that grew naturally you know in the bush and was probably harvested by hand you talk to us a little bit about if you know the history of sort of the commercialization of cranberries and you know the decisions for the the agricultural system to sort of grow them in large bogs and obviously use the water to flood it to harvest because you know i can imagine that would have been out of necessity to sort of try and figure out a way to economically and efficiently harvest the cranberries and flooding these big bogs with water like it's so logical but i can imagine it would have probably taken a while for them to arrive at that point yeah, well, I'll let Mandy answer the the because she did, she actually did a lot of research on that for for some of the info that we put out at our tours. Um, cool. The only thing I would say is that there still is a lot of dry picking. Mm-hmm. That's typically the, the fresh fruit that you'll find in the bags in the store. All right. Uh, a lot of it is dry picked, so you know there are still two methods of harvesting. But 
Yeah. Um, you know, Mandy can talk to you more about the... Uh... Yeah, so like BC is kind of a relatively new market in the sense of the commercialization of cranberries because like commercial farms didn't really start here until like 1946, I believe. Jack Bell was the first commercial farmer. Um, and out in Burns Bog area and stuff, that's kind of where they figured out they would start. Still lots of farms out in Richmond, obviously. Yeah, tons. In the area. Yeah. Um, and I think most of the methodology came from out east because cranberries is so well established out mm. in like Wisconsin, Massachusetts and stuff. Uh, they've had that industry going since like like the late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, commercial farming there, I think, was like mid 1800s yeah. that kind of really started. Yeah, they, they um, packed and dried them for the whaling ships. Yeah. Uh, so as a, as a source of vitamin C. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and even here, like Fort Langley, so it was definitely growing naturally. And like the the local First Nations, like the Kwantlen and the Kutsi, they were like picking it and and trading it uh, out at Fort Langley, which is just down the road from us. Yeah. And they actually took the berries here, packed them in in barrels, and sent them up to the. No, sent them down to San Diego. Well, San Francisco. Francisco, And then from there, they went up to the gold gold fields. Ah, right. In California. Yeah. 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 At one point cranberries were more valuable than, than the salmon that was being traded around. Yeah. yeah. So it was, yeah, I kind of interesting that way. Right. But commercialized cranberry farming, I said, it's like not to like the mid 1900s, like 1940s, 50s. Yeah. Prior to that, it was all first nations that knew where the, you know, where the vines were growing in the, in the wetlands. And then they, they traded them to the fort and then the fort moved them on from there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, there's a lot of history in this area with it. And, and I do want to, I do want to connect with some of the local bands and just see if there's like some oral like narratives that we could find out more about just cause I think that is their story. And I don't really think it's very well known. Yeah. Um, and just being so local to Fort Langley, I think that'd be just kind of a, a neat perspective to have uh, to understand cool, it. But it's totally different than what we're doing, right? Because that's yeah. just like you said, little pockets of native like plants growing. Yeah. yeah. This is so different, right? Like you're really, like you said, it's about industrializing it mm-hmm. almost. Um, that's intense commercial. Farming. Yeah. And none yeah. of the berries here are really native berries. Everything's been kind of brought in. Yeah. A lot of hybrid um, varieties. Hybrids. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Like, what kind of varietals? Like, how many different types of varietals are out there? And are some more conducive to different climates and, you know, growing yeah. regions as well, or different flavor profiles? Just like I've come from the coffee industry. And, uh, you know, there are so many different varietals of coffee. You've got your Arabica and Robusta. And the way that we always talked about that is it's as different as red and white wine. But then under the red and white wine umbrellas, you've got so many different varietals. Yeah. And so is it the same with cranberries too? Yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot. I mean, there's over 300 commercially grown varieties. Uh, uh, a lot of them are um, not viable anymore mm-hmm. as new hybrids have come into the market and just replaced them with basically the the profiles that people are looking for, right? So yeah. when we when we planted our farm, we we started with 90 probably about 95 percent of our acreage going into the traditional variety, which is called the Stevens variety. Stevens, and uh, you know, I'm gonna say that. Of the fifty thousand acres of cranberries, probably thirty-five of that were are Stevens still. Okay, uh, and they produce well, um, but there hasn't been a lot of success in in transplanting them from from the peat fields into the sawdust medium that we use. Or uh, so we ended up, you know, looking at it, and the yields weren't what we were expecting. But the hybrid that we planted, the the five percent, I mean, it just blew us out of the water. What it did, I mean, it was doing two and a half to three times the yield per year. Mm-hmm. 
and with the same inputs. So that that's easy math, right? Yeah. So over the next six years, we we chose to renovate and replanted the rest of our farm, and we, now we have f- full production of this this high producing variety, which was developed for for basically two reasons. One was production, the yields, but two was in Wisconsin, where they where they grow the majority of the North American cranberries, they can get early frosts. In September, they can already be having like freezing nights. Mm-hmm. So they wanted a variety that ripened earlier. Mm-hmm. I typically will harvest in the third week of September. Most of the growers out here don't even start till after Thanksgiving. So three weeks later, they might be starting their harvest. Yeah. And that's just largely so, due to the varietal that you've chosen. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Wow. Well, and like you were talking about like the flavor, like yeah. profile and stuff, it does have a bit of a difference. Yeah. We, we would say it's not sweeter, but it's less bitter. So okay. we have people who will pop it in their mouth and, you know, lots of people are like, but um, some people are like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought. Because, <laughs> you know, most people don't really love fresh cranberries. Um, but yeah, like oh, the color is better, like more uniform, Very uniform deeper, color. deeper yeah. color. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, flavor wise, I would say it's just a little more um palatable in the sense it's not so bitter yeah so when you chose to introduce a, a larger quantity of this varietal onto your, into the, your bogs were you planting by seed was it all sort of like seedlings by hand or transplanting what was the process you know we, we tried so seeding cranberries isn't i don't know if anybody has ever done that okay uh, it, it's almost all propagation so either you mow a field and you replant the cuttings or you propagate them into plugs and you plant the plugs uh, by hand. We, we've tried both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's there's some that. mechanical ways, but yeah, we've yeah. done a lot of hand planting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, we discovered the easiest way is to just take the cuttings and spread them over the field and put a tiny little skiff of sawdust over top and just keep them wet for four weeks. And you, get, right. you get a great take. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's by far the most economical way of doing it. Yeah. yeah. Because we kind of have had a lot of trial and error. And I mean, I think that kind of is standard for the cranberry industry around here, at least. There's everybody's doing their own way. Like everybody chats to each other and we kind of talk about methodology, but um, it's kind of a a lot of learn as you go. Every farm is unique. Yeah, Mm -hmm. every farm is unique, even to the harvesting equipment that we use, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to say nine out of 10 cranberry farms you visit will have custom made equipment. Mm. There's just not a large enough industry to demand a, you know, like a standardized piece of harvesting equipment, if you mm-hmm. want to call it that. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of unique in that way. So a lot of, a lot of cranberry farmers, you know, we'll, we'll look at the, the problems that we encounter on our farm and we solve them ourselves based on what we're dealing with. Not, not because 10 other people are dealing with the same problem. Yeah. 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 Right. So, so there's, there's definitely an element of independence, but we all talk to each other. Like, you know, we, there's a lot of information that we pass back and forth I bet. on weed, weed control and timings of fertilizers and sprays and stuff yep. like that too, yep. you know, just to ensure that the industry can stay healthy too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if there are any industry associations that you're a part of, because that seems to be a, you know, a huge deal for a lot of producers out there to be a part of a program like that. And, and not only that, but, you know, CPG businesses to be a part of industry programs too, like the CHFA. Um, so there is an industry association for the cranberry growers. Yeah, there is. There's a BC cranberry growers association actually okay. is one of them. And then there's yeah. the uh, BC cranberry commission is another one. So the commission actually regulates cranberries in BC uh, because it's a, a commodity, a regulated commodity, mm-hmm. they ensure that all the growers uh, 
pay their levy. The levy goes towards enforcing um, the standards that we have to hold mm-hmm. to ensure that if we export our product to a foreign country, that it meets all of the pre-harvest intervals on our sprays, stuff like that, right? Because, you know, let's say one farmer ships a load out to China and it's contaminated and suddenly China bans the mm-hmm. import of cranberries mm-hmm. in B- from BC. Like that's a massive blow to our economy, right? I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they, they make sure that that's all followed and, and they also have fairly good resources as well mm-hmm. uh, for the growers to go to. Yeah. Um, we are kind of unique though, in the sense, like, I don't know if you're familiar Hayden, with like the industry, but like 95% of the growers are all in ocean spray cooperatives. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I see the ocean spray signs everywhere driving through Richmond yeah. past yeah. these farms. And that's sort of what I thought was really unique to you because you guys have sort of taken a, like an approach of like taking back a bit of control as to sort of how you're selling your product and who you're selling to and so on, which I wanted to dig into. So this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that journey, the, the early days in our farm, and I still feel like we're in the early days because there's always something going on that you haven't encountered before. But the early yeah. days when we built our farm and, you know, we were signed on with Ocean Spray. It, the entire process to me was set up to make it very difficult for new farmers. And that's not intentional by Ocean Spray. That's just simply the process they had in place. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're putting out huge dollars to build your farm, carrying a hefty bank mortgage Mm -hmm. and the payment schedule for your crop at harvest is a two year payment schedule, right? Cash flow in the early days is always key. Like you have to have access to cash and it just wasn't coming. So we looked at that, you know, and some of it was self-inflicted that the decision to make renovations again, you know, long-term gain for short-term pain kind of thing. But in the end, we simply looked at it and said, there's enough local demand for our sized farm to move its fruit and get paid in a 30 day or a 60 day or even a 180 day period, mm-hmm. as opposed to a 700 day period, right? Like just a no brainer. Yeah, it is. So yeah. we, we, we chose that route and, and, you know, out of that developed our, our brand and our products. And, you know, those are still in the, I call them the infancy stages. We've worked a lot of the kinks out of it. Yeah. But, you know, the market is, it's still huge for what we're doing. Mm. It's just getting, getting out there and getting recognized. Yeah. I think like when we we were talking about it, like for us, cranberries in BC, like I always, I I, I mean, we're still part of Ocean Spray. Like we're 40% in, 60% independent. Yeah. And we got, you know, there's lots of benefits to being in the cooperative. You know what's going on in the whole, you know, basically the market across North America, you know, the trends kind of that sort of information is really important. And then even the connections that we still have with all these growers. But the flip side is that, yeah, you're just like, nobody really knows that you're not really eating BC cranberries very often. (laughs) Like ocean spray is massive, right? So everything from BC goes across the border and nobody's eating. 15% of ocean sprays cranberries are from BC. Yeah, yeah, so you might, I always say that, you might be supporting, you are supporting BC farmers if you eat ocean spray. Yes, yeah. for sure, 100%. But you're not necessarily eating BC yeah. cranberries. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. it all just gets pooled together, right? So, yeah. and we don't have a lot of fresh fruit farms either in, in BC. A lot of it goes into craisins, I would say. Yeah, there's majority. almost none left. Yeah. But, but for us, it was very important to let people know that 
if you wanted BC cranberries, you weren't going to find them buying a bag of craisins from Ocean Spray. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's just not the way it works. Yeah. So at what point did you make the decision to go independent or have to so portion a percentage of your business off to sort of the independent route? So about three and a half. I I'm, I'm going to say about five years ago, we were already kicking it around. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, you know, I'm pretty good at math, like easy math. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I looked at our financial situation. I said, you know, we have to change something. Yeah. Thankfully I had another business at the time that I was spending a lot of time in and it, it was doing very well, but it okay. was subsidizing the farm. And I always yeah. looked at it and I was like this farm, the size of this farm, the dollars that we've put into it, it has to be able to stand on its mm -hmm. own. Mm -hmm. So I started doing some math on, on, you know, even before we started doing rentals, what, what the farm would generate for revenues uh, with renovations. And if we could get our, our cash flow faster, getting paid for a crop quicker and, it, it made a lot of sense to move forward in doing that. And, and you know, it, it was a bit of a leap of faith to, to let ocean spray know when our contracts, they run everything in three year contracts that automatically renew, unless you notify them, you know, it was a leap of faith when I, when I sent them the letter saying, Hey, we're going to pull you know these 20 acres out and, and move forward with our own marketing. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think Brian kind of hinted at that, but it wasn't our primary business initially. Like this mm -hmm. was a, sort of a, a side thing we started. His family was involved. We were living on the land. Okay, let's yeah. do this. But he was still working majority of the time at his other business. Yeah. And so when we decided, and he, it was just like a natural evolution, his other business, he ended up selling it and stuff. So yeah, if you're going to make this your primary source of income, like you yeah. got to make it work. And we had 100%. to figure out how to be creative and yeah. making, like we had to diversify. That's basically what it came down to. Yeah, yeah. Um, in order to make this something that was... And the opportunity was there. I mean, we're in a we're in a market that is dominated by one player. Yeah. And even the people around here that were looking for cranberries, they couldn't find them. Mm. They had to buy out of Eastern Canada or buy out of Washington or Oregon, right? So there was no true local BC cranberry supplier in the independent market. And it for us it just made a lot of sense to test that water. Yeah. And we we've had some amazing relationships with with people around us that have turned into you know now some of them are co-packers for us yeah stuff like that and yeah by no means is it on a huge scale yet but it's 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 a journey that we really enjoy because you meet you meet people you build relationships uh you find out a lot of what's going on because a small scale food business there's a lot of interesting people in it oh it's unreal isn't it that's you, what i you love about it them. yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. You must yeah. talk to them more than we do. Yeah. And, and it's such a massive industry that we didn't really know a lot about. And I think for us, we've always kind of been like, we're the farmers coming into this. So I, I sort of said to Brian, like, we're coming in it the, like the backwards way almost a little bit because yeah. we're the primary producer. A lot of it, we were wholesaling to some of these companies, right? And then, but we just always saw the potential if we do our, ourselves, like, hey, you know, what can we, what can we make a go of this ourselves? Like, so we're still primarily always going to be wholesalers right now. I don't know. It's like the percentage of our, our sales are still mostly wholesale, but yeah, we're it's, it's kind of like our side project. I don't know how do you, how do you want to well, call Well, and, that, it, and that for us, that's a bit of a blessing as well, right? Because I look at some of the people that are at the, you know, let's say you do a show like we did at the, yeah. at the good, good, to, was it from the ground up? Yeah. From yeah. the ground up. So, yeah. So you, you meet people at that show and. I mean, they've invested everything into that, mm -hmm. into their venture, like yep. blood, sweat and tears and every last red cent and probably money from relatives and wherever they can. They're borrowing from, right? for sure. Yep. 
they have to make it work mm-hmm. for us. I love it. We have an insurance policy. We have a, a, a massive volume of fruit that we market and it gives us capital and time to just kind of do, try to do this right, right away. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then I'm not saying we're not making mistakes, but, um, they don't affect us to the same degree. Yeah. Well, the blood, sweat, and tears went into the development of the farm. Yeah. I can only <laughs> imagine. Like lots is, of tears, right? lots of blood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> lots of yeah. blood. Yeah. Now I still have the scars to prove it. <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. It's just a different take. And so I feel like sometimes we're like ducks out of water. Like we're like, whoa, what's going on? Like we're kind of, but on the flip side, we don't have that same pressure maybe that other people do. Um, yeah. No. And I, I feel like the timing too, like coming into this, I mean, the last two years have been weird. Mm-hmm. to put it mildly right mm-hmm. and w- we've seen this huge shift especially with the supply chain disruptions and stuff like that we've seen this huge shift towards trying to find products locally yeah and realizing that we were we were living in an extremely vulnerable state when we're dependent on 80 or 90 percent of our goods coming mm-hmm. from outside of our our country or our region that's right so you know people have shifted more towards the support local or at least understand where their food is coming from the whole narrative of of you know knowing your farmer knowing your food mm-hmm. uh you know this has been a, a great period for us to launch this brand yeah with the story that we have yeah and you know we we saw it the day after we we did that trade show we had two of the major grocery chains call us the next morning literally uh, before well, the one di- called the next morning, the other one was like a bit later. <laughs> okay, but but I mean they beat the they beat the distributor that I was talking to. Yeah, to yeah. the to the phone. Right now we we still go through the distributor. Yeah, uh, yeah. simply because it was a lot easier than ship to one location. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Plus, you know, getting on board with a company like Sobeys, uh, getting into the warehouse is extremely difficult. Yeah. But again, the, the fresh fruit was the leverage to do that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's been it's been interesting to say the least. The last four weeks have, have really opened our eyes. It created a ton of work, but uh, really opened our eyes to the potential to to put our product in the shelves and to get in front of yeah. a lot more people than we already have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that vision is really starting to crystallize for you. That's exciting. Yeah. So you've got a couple of different channels. Um, one is obviously direct to the consumer via your own store, and uh, mm-hmm. and you just suggested that you're going through a distributor now who is helping get it out onto the retail shelves as well. When yeah. you first um, decided to package up the product and, and put it into a, a bag, did you have a, like a grand vision for it where you're like, this is something that we want to do. We want to see it on all the retail shelves. Or were you just like, let's just take it one step at a time? Yeah, I, I was saying to Brian, like I would say it was a very organic development in the sense yeah. of just, so we we had it more that we were, we saw that so many people in the area wanted to understand cranberry farming and they would just come out to the farm during the harvest. So mm-hmm. that's sort of where everything started, the brainchild of it all, because we were like, oh, people are coming, we can sell our cranberries. And we were allowed to do that with Ocean Spray. You're allowed yeah. to sell a certain amount off your farm direct to the you know mm-hmm. consumer. But um yeah, it kind of grew from there because we started contacting with like local farm markets, not farm like farmers markets, but like the Meridian farm markets, the yep. left farm markets, like those kind of places. They yep. were very interested. Yeah. Um, and we did it a different way. We don't have it in a bag. We have them in a clamshell, which <laughs> has turned out to be a really good thing too, because um, the retail buyers really like that way. Yep. Um, it's not really done around here anywhere. At least no. a little bit, but not here. Ones, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, just for like transporting and just presentation of the product and stuff, it's yeah. just a lot nicer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of started the whole, the thresh is where we started. And well, then, and again, you know, getting back to varietals, our variety allows us to harvest prior to our Thanksgiving year. Right. So we can have, we literally can have fresh fruit in the stores the mm -hmm. second week of September. Perfect. Um, very, uh, very few other varieties allow for that. Yeah. So for us to be able to take that product and present it and say, oh yeah, we'll have it the entire week before Thanksgiving, we can have it on your shelves. Whereas every other grower is like, well, I'm maybe I'm thinking about starting to harvest around that time, but we're not there yet. Yeah. And we have that nice uniform color and good size berry. Yeah. It's, it's lights out and it, it's attractive. It's, yeah. I always yeah. say when you have something that people want, it's not hard to market. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 That product so market guess, fit. Yeah. Yeah. Markets yeah. itself. And then the evolution of all the other products just kind of happened. Same thing over time. Like we started getting involved in the Fort Langley Cranberry Festival. Have you ever been or heard twice. about it? Yeah. Twice. Yeah. Twice. Okay. Yeah. We've been twice. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we were kind of like, okay, so it's like a great big fair, mm -hmm. but where's cranberry represented in the actual? So we started um, like opening up the farm with in collaboration with like Tourism Langley and, and some other associations. Yeah, I contacted the organizers and just told them the feedback I was getting from people. Yeah. They show up looking, oh, I, we've been looking for somewhere to harvest cranberries. Or to, or watch. They, to watch the harvest. And I was yeah. like, well, I'll tell you what, if you drive five minutes down the road, yeah, our farm's harvesting over there, right? Yeah. So, and that's how the tours developed. Yeah. Initially, they were busing people from Fort Langley to our farm, and we just opened it up. And, yeah, you know, we had our stand and we were selling product. But now it's like we actually have online bookings for tours. The, the store on the farm is open during that period. And, you know, I would say last year we had probably a couple thousand people came out. Wow. Yeah. Over the, the four weekends that we. Yeah. Yeah. COVID we kind of COVID kind of shifted that. Right. Because the Cranberry Festival got canceled. It did. Yeah. And we're yeah. like, oh, shoot. Because like, <laughs> we were kind of <laughs> expecting that we were going to have, you know, people coming. So then we were like, OK, I guess we'll try it ourselves. And then. Yeah, it went well. It was still small. And then last year we kind of ramped it up a bit more, got a little more professional in how we organized it. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, now it's sounding like more and more people are, are interested in it. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we've got a bunch of tours, like tour guides that organize groups to come out here as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a lot of people from Richmond coming out. Yeah, um, they're like, it's enough. not that big. <laughs> but, like, You're right. But again, the issue is the big farmers, they don't want to deal with the public. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 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 And I'll say this, like, it is a bit of a headache in a yeah. way, because I am trying to harvest, but yeah. our farm's not so big that I can't stop my tractor and talk to a group of people for five yeah. minutes either. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it's, it, to me, it's, it's actually really good because when people just walk around and have questions that aren't answered, I don't think they're satisfied. Yeah. But to be able to engage with them. And we see it every time I'll stop, I'll talk one person, two people, five people there, and suddenly there's 50 people. That's awesome. Right? And they, yeah. they all have questions. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to inform them and to give them some, some knowledge about what we're doing and, yeah. and why we do it that way. Uh, I think it's great. We had to get a little creative though with that because COVID made everybody scared to be in groups, right? I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, how are we going to do this? Um, so last year I decided, I don't know where the inspiration came from, but an audio tour where everybody just use a QR at these stops. And so it's me basically giving them a tour, but they can do it at their own pace. And I don't okay. actually have to go yeah. around and leave. Like groups. a museum, like when you're in a museum. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then it gives them the opportunity to learn. Cause like you said, Brian said, if you just wandered around, you really wouldn't know, or yeah. 
you know, it depends on your level of interest. Uh, and we still have the Instagrammers who just literally come for oh, yeah. the pictures. That's yeah. all they care about. <laughs> but we do, you know, have a lot of people who want to learn too. So yeah. this was kind of like our way of trying to satisfy those people. That's awesome. And we then, love doing stuff yeah. like that. On the weekend, we went blueberry picking with the kids, which was okay. great. And uh, we'll always go to a pumpkin patch and pick strawberries. And so we'll come out to you guys this year. Um, yeah, when are awesome. you doing the harvest? Is it in September? Yeah, usually we kind of start late September and okay. then we go towards Thanksgiving. This okay. year's a weird year. We're kind of actually maybe going to be later, which <laughs> I think it might be a good thing for us because a majority of people really don't think about cranberries until Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we've been challenged in that sense. Like, yes, Brian's like, we got, we're first to market with our cranberries. That's great. But people aren't thinking cranberries until Thanksgiving. So we have so much interest right when we're finished they're yeah. like oh can we come i'm like sorry we're done yeah yeah uh, yeah the week so, after thanksgiving is yeah. people are boning nonstop. I'm like, oh sorry we finished like three days ago yeah. yeah yeah so a late year might not be a bad thing for us we'll see yeah let's see how it goes and it, it was a late start to summer as well so i'm expecting it to run a little bit longer yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. oh yeah our crop's definitely behind yeah everything seems to be about a, a week to two weeks behind Okay. How are you measuring it just by like the size of the fruit, the quantity, like the color, like the how do you sort of measure the bloom of oh, the flowers? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. The bloom is really key because it was very late this year. Yeah. yeah. Usually... It, was, it, was, it was late. It, it was scattered all over the place. Um, I don't know. I, I pay attention to the details. Uh, I keep a journal. Yeah. You know, I track weird stuff, literally weird stuff. Like what, what day the swallows came back from migration just oh, to cool. see how year in year out goes. Yeah. 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 Um, some things are right on track. Other things are three weeks behind. I don't know if that's our season or somewhere else, stuff like that, but, yeah. uh, we definitely, the, the plants themselves tell us a lot and, you know, we got, we got lots of fruit in the fields this year. we got good color starting. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, you know, there's still flowers on some of the plants when some of the other fruits already, yeah, you know, size the size up. of a large pea. Yeah. Right? And, and some of that stuff just won't even make it to where it's, it's a viable product to, to market. It'll just end up going through the screens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. in, in general, I mean, you talk to anybody in the industry that's doing this and, and we see it track your growing degree days. They're way behind. Yeah. Uh, lots, way more rain than normal this year. Yeah. Lots. Yeah. You know, but and again, the heat, the sunshine too. you know what, two weeks of sun coming up will make a huge difference. You watch how fast those plants, you know, slowly start to catch up yeah yeah and it depends on the pollination too right like yeah because the bloom was late we didn't bring the bees in well they were not bees far. came in a week later than a week normal. later yeah. yeah but it just depends on how efficient they are at doing you know all that too yeah so do you have your own beehives or do you bring no. bees in like beekeepers yeah. and bring the oh, beekeepers. Cool. okay yeah yeah it's we joked about doing it once but it's a it's another art that's right? another like, big I, project I yeah yeah. yeah. And we have a really great beekeeper right now. And he's very like, he's about the same thing as Brian, like the details. He's um really great guy. Easy to work with. Yeah. He's also limping around. Yeah. He, he also broke his leg. <laughs> what did he do? He, like, pears. he got hit by he a got car. Hit by a car. It was I, awful. I broke my leg playing ice hockey about two months ago. Did yeah, you? Hit and run. Yeah. 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 So, oh, but that's where I was, you know, earlier when I'm talking yeah. about the boys helping out, like they yeah. did a lot of the heavy lifting when yeah. I was on crutches for eight weeks, right during the time when we were starting our fertilizer and yeah, yeah. all yeah. that stuff. So, yeah. I mean, very thankful for that, for sure. Yeah, you must be proud. Yeah, we called in, called in some friends. That's another thing too. We got some great neighbors and friends. But yeah. honestly, like farming, that's what farming is. Farming is community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a lifestyle where if my neighbor stops by and, and, and we BS for, for an hour or two hours or three hours, 
Yeah. Right. Nobody's standing there yelling at you to become productive. Nobody's, you know, looking at what you've done saying, you're not worth employing. Right. Like, no, you pick it up the next day where you left off. Yeah. 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 You know, we, you've got very time on your side. In a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the stuff that we do too, with the, with the value added products, mm -hmm. it, it grew because we actually have time after harvest. We have an extended downtime period mm -hmm. during the winter. Yeah. where we can fool around with stuff like this. Mm -hmm. yeah. We have the luxury during harvest to put some projects on the shelf Yeah, saying, Hey, we're too busy now. We'll look at this when we got time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, That's amazing. So tell us yeah. a little bit about the development of the brand that you've built around the product. So you've got the bog Riverside cranberries. You've got beautiful branding. I've been on your website, the packaging that you got printed through us at food pack. Thank you very much. was uh, <laughs> looking stunning. We're really, really happy with that project. And uh, so you've obviously taken the time and the, and the care and the attention to develop this. Was that something that you worked with a graphic designer on? And did you guys have a really good vision or talk to us a little bit about that? That's me. <laughs> yeah. Ma Mandy's, yeah. The, Mandy's the artistic one here. Yeah. Okay. She took on that project and she ran it. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's got it's been good affirmation for me because I'm like, yeah, it's not that I was trained in it. It's something that I've always been. It's like a hobby of mine. Okay. But um, yeah, we we took some. We had an opportunity to take a business pilot program that was put on by the government, Ministry mm. of Agriculture and Small Scale Food Processors Association. Okay. This is yep. kind of like Lana pivoting Popham. during COVID. Yeah, during yep. during COVID. Um, yeah, and Brian's. We have family connections also in the okay. Ministry of Agriculture, so. Yep. Um, Brian's dad's quite involved and then my sister works for the government as well so it's good having ties kind of knowing you know where to tap in and stuff I wouldn't yeah. say that like you know there's no been like advantage but it's just more understanding what's available yeah the awareness um yeah, yeah so we took a food business course I pretty much took most of it because he was busy working um and so that kind of helped getting us started on understanding what what's industry standards like what what do we need to focus on what are the small things the details um, and just, yeah, getting everything kind of ready for retail. Cause we had stuff on the retail shelves already, but it was very like kind of hokey. Like we, you know, we started out where we're, we're like, we're selling at a farm market. We're selling by the road. Mm -hmm. Um, we were making it all ourselves. This, this is literally one of those businesses that started in the garage. Yeah. Like yeah. we were packing our cranberries in our garage. It was, yeah, I just laughed. Cause <laughs> now we have like a full packing room. We have a commercial freezer. It's like so funny The the journey has been quite, uh, quite the jump every year we're like oh now we got this oh now we got that so it's, it's awesome isn't it because a lot of people will start producing in their kitchen and you know tasting with family and friends and then they'll move into a commissary and then they'll build their own facility and yeah i love listening yeah. to about that evolution that's cool yeah and i mean now we aren't making anything ourselves we have all it's all co-packed um okay. just because our facility isn't like we don't have a commercial kitchen or anything in our facility. We just yep. have like a packing room. We have a commercial freezer so we can store all our products. We've got lots of space that way. Um, but yeah, anyways, getting back to the packaging side of it. Um, yeah. The, the name <laughs> Brian was the one who had the inspiration for that. Just kinda... it, Honestly, it like popped into my head and I don't overthink a lot of things. Like I try not to anyways. Yeah. Um, simple as best. Yeah. You know, Riverside cranberries. That's the name of the farm. Yeah. yeah it's too long it, it tells you what you're doing but it's not a memorable name no. yeah yeah right yeah short and sweet right? and the bog i mean you laugh at it because you i know like the, it yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that was interesting for because from that trade show that we did yeah that, that was actually the first time that we had people in the industry come up and say i love your brand 
Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's simple. Yeah. We had great feedback. Like, okay, so Lana Poppin, the mister, came out last year during the harvest and she actually went into the field with us and did That's the cool. whole thing. Yeah. And and so we got great feedback from like that level. And like, but those are all like politicians in the they're not in the food industry per yes. se, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they were giving us great feedback. Our friends are telling us, you know, all our people we know are telling us, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're like, you still don't know 100%, right? Mm -hmm. So like Brian said, uh, for me being the one who's done all of the designing, it was it was a really good feeling because I was like, okay, yay, we are on track. I'm not just like thinking, um, you know, I'm on what I love. Because one of the things that did come out of that business course was like, you might think it's great, but you really, really got to find out what everybody else thinks. Who you're targeting. Yeah, yeah, and who's your target market, and are yeah. they up, like looking at it the same way you are? Um, but yeah, so. I, I remember that actually in the conversation we had with a uh, a winemaker. He made blueberry wine, and uh, he liked sweeter wines. And his kids basically told him at some point, "Dad, stop making wine that you like." Right? Like, not everybody has the same taste buds as you do. Yeah. So yeah. he realized yeah. that some of the stuff that he didn't like that that was coming out of his process was actually popular with other people yeah okay. but yeah. i do think you should love your product oh, and yeah. i do think hey. like that is our passion we do love we have embraced we, it that's for sure yeah. we yeah. remember he's at home a lot um, yeah you know, we, we our people. daughter joked okay our five-year-old last night she said uh, or yesterday i was baking stuff and she's like why does everything have to have cranberries in it <laughs> <laughs> and then i told brian and he's like what you're hurting me <laughs> you're hurting my heart <laughs> i said that that's me <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Was pounding cranberry sauce. On yeah, we still, she's still like, well, I still like cranberry sauce. <laughs> uh, that's great. So tell us a little bit about this trade show. Was that the first one you'd ever done? Yeah, we had been cool. to a trade show, but not as a vendor. Like every chef needs a farmer was one we had gone to pre-COVID. Okay. Yeah. And that's kind of when we were just starting to be like, okay, let's do this. Mm-hmm. So we were there more to just see what everybody else was doing. Yeah. Um, and we talked to a bunch of people there and made a few connections. But yeah, this was our first time like standing on our own feet, kind of being like, hey, we are here and we're ready. Because yeah. I feel like we weren't it, ready before that. No, but it wasn't even a planned thing, right? Like I was literally just going through my emails and one had popped up from the small scale food processors. Mm-hmm. And, and it was basically saying, hey, uh, from the ground up trade show, we've got a few spots left. Uh, I think the application date had already passed. Yeah but they were just looking to fill up the venue a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And and I said to Mandy, I said, you want to try this, right? Yeah. Let's just see. Yeah. So, you know, we, we put everything together. We, we took we 10, ma- t- like- 10 times more product there than we needed. And <laughs> yeah. get it done. And, yeah. But again, you know what? It was, it was interesting in how quickly the response came. Yeah. And but it, it kind of was, like I said, too, a natural evolution because we had, we had gotten a fund, a grant fund from BC just we just finished it this year and part of the project was revamping our labels and basically getting everything retail ready yes um kind of giving a new look to our you know uh, basically stepping it up ready for market and so yeah everything was kind of ready to go and this was our goal in in our other project too we were like we're going to scale up into larger grocery that was our goal so this just kind of it happened and then it was like the opportunity came and then yeah now here we are were there yeah, any key like takeaways said. or any key takeaways or anything that you learned or any feedback that you weren't expecting from the trade show? Um, I, I think if you're going to do that, the key takeaway that I got is if you're going to do this, you, 
you have to be committed to it. Yeah. You can't go into it half-assed. You, you have to, you have to make sure that your vision for your, your product is strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did the workshop the day before um, with Andrea and there's a whole bunch of keynote speakers and stuff. And I think one of the things that I took away was, and I said to Brian, it's like, know your numbers. Like we have to know what our margins are here. And that was the, tr- and I mean, thankfully Brian's good at like math. <laughs> that's, that's his wheelhouse because that's what happened in the next like couple weeks. We were just like back and forth trying to figure it all out. Like, you know, bottom line, what are we putting in? Like what, what percentage can we give up? Uh, what are we willing to, you know, to give, to get onto those shelves? So yeah, I think that was good kind of being a heads up. This is an important part because it can be all fun. You're like, yay, they're taking our, our stuff. But if you're not making money at it, and Andrew yeah. was, yeah. Andrew was like, it has to be mutually beneficial for both parties. Don't give it up unless it is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, good point, because I think, you can get sucked into thinking, oh yeah, we want to just get it out there. But if you're not making money at it, what's why? Right? Yeah, you can like, go broke sitting on your ass. And oh, you don't have to work hard to do that. Yeah. yeah. But I, 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 yeah, I look at it as well. Like when you look at the numbers, you know, again, the last two years have been really difficult because grocery prices have increased, mm-hmm. but maybe not to the same degree that inputs have increased to, mm-hmm. to people who are making the products. Right. Yeah. You know, when you take a, a glass bottle that used to be 75 cents and now it's a dollar 85. Yeah. You know, can you pass that dollar on to your retailer and can mm-hmm. you pass it on to the consumer? Yeah. In a lot of cases, no. Right. So those yeah. are the challenges where, where the margins internally have shrunk. I mean, it blows me away how much a bottle of cranberry juice has to sell for on the shelf in order to make a fairly small margin on the farm here. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you've got, you've got, <laughs> six or seven different people involved in that process yeah. to get it to the yeah. store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's just one, one product. And, and then when you look at ramping up to meet a retail level, right, let's say our product shows up in 80 stores over the next two months to build up inventory, to get to that. I mean, we have cranberries up the wazoo here. That's not an issue. Yeah. The, the issue is when you got to lay out 30, 50, $80,000, to, to create inventory. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a, that can be a challenge as well. Yeah. That would yeah, be a I stretch. think that's something that we're learning. Like we're really trying to figure out because it's like the timing of everything is so key. And when you're dealing with co-packers, you got to be able to be, you know, you have to give them enough time because otherwise you're stuck and you, and I said to Brian, I'm like, let's not scale up too fast either. I'm a bit like more cautious and being like, I want to do it well. I do not want us to like launch into this and then fall flat on our faces because yeah. we weren't prepared. Um, but what's been great is even working with a company like Sobeys or, or Georgia Maine is uh, in the discussions we've had with them, they've basically given us a lot of leeway in terms of what we want to, what we want to put into the stores, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sobeys, for example, they own uh, they own Thrifties and that's the Safeway brand. Yeah, uh, they've they've allowed us to go into the Thrifties, just the Lower Mainland Thrifties, with our fresh fruit this year, mm-hmm. just to trial it. Not just because they're worried about us. Yeah, yeah, more more because they don't want to set us up for failure, and we don't want to promise more than we can than we can accomplish here on the farm. Yeah. to supply because i mean they're big enough to eat up quite a bit more product than they're than they're looking at taking this year yeah 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 that that was a takeaway from that trade show too because andrew had said 
we have big buyers here who would not come to these shows before previously, but because yeah. of what COVID did and the supply chain yep. issues, they are trying to source local. And so they are actually looking at small brands now that they wouldn't have touched before. Yeah. So yeah, in just the sense of where our journeys come and how we've just the timing of it has been pretty, pretty good for us in that way. Right. Like it's. Well, even an opportunity with the fresh fruit, like, like last year, ocean spray had a terrible crop. I mean, that heat dome that we had here, uh, even just on our own farm, we, we mm. saw a significant impact in terms of the quality of the fruit. Really? Uh, Wisconsin struggled through an extremely wet August, I believe, last year. The quality of the, the fresh fruit was very poor. So Ocean Spray, I don't think they brought very much fresh fruit up here at all. Almost every single retailer up here could not get Ocean Spray fresh fruit. Yeah, because the whole industry was down, what, $100 million? Um, I don't know if it was, I think it was more than that, but pounds or yeah, kilograms or pounds. Yeah. Pounds. I think it was between hundred, 130 million pounds, something wow. like that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, just the retailers here not being able to get fresh fruit for the Thanksgiving market was yeah. significant because now they look at it. So, oh, there's somebody here doing it locally. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Right. So yeah. as soon as you, it's, and we've used our fresh fruit as leverage, mm -hmm. get it into a store. The other stuff will follow. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You've built a brand and a reputation you know, for yourselves that'll proceed, that'll proceed the products. Um, it's just really interesting. I, uh, I've got a couple more questions for you. You know, you talked about earlier on in the conversation that, you know, this new varietal that you'd put in, you've got bigger yields, you've got, it, it grows and sorry, it comes to, um, uh, its ripeness is earlier than everybody else's. And it's got the same amount of inputs as the previous varietal that you put in. So you knew your costs at that level. And like, obviously costing out a product wasn't a hard process for you. So I can imagine going through the process of costing out your CPG uh, would have been an easy process once you got your head around exactly what the inputs were and the percentage of the cost that everybody took along the way. So, you know, I think that's a really good example of something that you've learned as you've gone. But if you had the opportunity to go back to when you first started with the knowledge that you have now, what business advice would you give yourself? <laughs> we talked about this one a lot last yeah. night. Uh, it's, it's actually a hard question, you know. Yeah. Like hindsight's, hindsight's amazing because you can see every mistake you made along the way. Mm -hmm. But when you actually have to dive deep into that, it's like... But I think we did kind of come away saying like, don't be afraid to take that leap to doing it right the first time. Yeah. Like we were saying, there's a lot of trial and error in the industry, but we could have just gone straight into that variety. And we just were cautious because yeah. we didn't know. It would have probably in terms of the development will cost me about a half million dollars more on the farm to, to plant the entire farm in that variety. Uh, it's cost me a lot more not to have done that. Yeah. Let's put it that well, way. Well, and right? the time we are quite, it's put us back because we've replanted multiple times. But in that conversation, I also said, had we done that, put all that new variety in and gotten our yields in four years, gotten the farm producing over a million pounds of cranberries, good cash flow, not having to rent and, and input more cash into it, you know, maybe we never would have done this route going yeah. independent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm a realist. I look at life. I mean, where we are in life is a product of the decisions that we've made mm -hmm. and some good, some bad, like you can't change them. And we're happy where we are. This farming, farming like we are is, it's a, it's an amazing blessing. Yeah. You know, to have, to have space, to have a family that can be involved, to have a support network around you of like-minded people. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Yeah. 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 You guys have got a great thing going on. Um, and you, and you're so passionate about it. Like, you know, I can imagine, you know, working on a farm day in, day out. And, you know, what was the previous business that you were involved in that you sold? 
so I had a um, uh, feed business. We okay. were picking up we were picking up the the waste from the big commercial bakeries in the valley. Yeah. yeah. And recycling it into a a grain replacement for dairy farmers. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. So, the recycling concept was definitely yeah. Was, so uh, I mean, we were literally huge. turning yeah. bread, bread buns, bagels, cake, yeah. you name it, into yeah. into dairy feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did so, that for eighteen years. Holy! And then you sold it. Yeah. yeah. So you had a good exit, obviously. Did, did you have a buyer in mind at that time, or was it just something that came along? Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a. So we were getting a little bit of competition from a, a company that had extremely deep pockets. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in hindsight, what I found out was that they had been losing huge amounts of money for two years setting up, trying to take our business. Yeah. And I, I knew that that was an opportunity to, to, you know, if they could take out the competitor by buying them. So, and I was seeing a decline in our business as well as they did pick away at the, at the edges of the, the contracts and some of our like the food industry is so fluid it's ridiculous mm. it is constantly being big business being bought by another big business and you know they don't think anything about buying a plant for 20 million dollars and closing it and yeah. moving that business to eastern canada yeah right so we were seeing a shift in in some of that as well to me the writing was on the wall we were going to be just turning dollars in about three years uh so i I had a contact who worked in a neighboring facility to this place, uh, our competitors. And I said, Hey, next time you're over there, just put a bug in the air that I'm willing to sell phone rang the next day. Cause I knew if I approached them, I didn't have the, the bargaining power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I got a brother-in-law who's a business broker. He facilitated the deal. It was, it was very fluid. Yeah. We had a ton of inventory that they, that we liquidated. Um, you know, I sold it four years ago and, and it's, I'm collecting my last paycheck from it this year. So that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it really, sorry, it, it was kind of like the bank for our farm. Yeah. Like yeah. that's because farming right now, like Brian had sort of said that earlier, it's so difficult to start a new farm. Mm -hmm. Like it, you see it happening all the time, right? Like the big farms are fine. They've been established that they've got deep pockets, but and the new farmers, it's so ridiculously expensive to mm -hmm. like buy any land and then mm -hmm. all your development costs. It's just, it's not feasible. And so we had the basically two factors. His parents own the land, first of all, mm -hmm. and we're willing to like buy the neighbor and then we have bought it since, but you know, they were our financers in that way. And then we put all the money into the development and then his business is what was the bank for that development. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It was a good way. It was a good way to get write-offs, right? Like, absolutely. You know, I'll pay for it down the road, I'm sure. But at this point, it, you know, we just transitioned money from one business yep. into the other. Put it into the didn't have yeah. To pay, yeah. Did not pay tons of taxes. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. It was, it was a good way to, to get into it for sure. Yeah. Perfect. And we we're fortunate. Like we got in, in, in 2009, we started. And when, as soon as we broke ground and planted, my parents, we we'd sat down with them and we had agreed to a, a purchase price for the land already. And we rented for six years almost, I think, before we actually assumed a mortgage on the property. Mm -hmm. uh, so so that was great too, working with them and yeah. and you know, because I truly believe most most people trying to get into business today, you can't do it unless you have somebody else helping you. 
it's a big question that I always have, you know, for a lot of these founders, especially ones that, you know, some people um, run a business off the side of their desk while they're working a full-time job until that small business has enough, uh, has the capacity to be able to support a salary or, you know, support a lifestyle, for example. And then other people jump in with both feet. And I'm always curious. I'm like, how have they been able to do this and support themselves for potentially two or three years without a paycheck? And so it's always in the back of my mind, but people are out there doing it. Yeah. But well, I can imagine it would be risk, very difficult. There's a lot of risk takers out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I always look at businesses that there's multiples of, right? Like it's yeah. not something, it's not a new concept. It's, yes. it's not a new product. Uh, and I look at people who are doing that with yeah. both feet in and I'm like, you know, you're setting yourself up for a lot of hard work. But again, you know, you don't know the mindset of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people are just determined, right? Well, they're they're yeah. a dog on a bone and they'll- Different they'll, risk tolerance. They, yeah. Well, but they also have goals and they'll reach them no matter what. It might take them a little longer than they thought, yeah. different route, but yeah, they'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have five kids and a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. I was totally going to say that because there's I, a I little more from, hanging on here. But yeah, I come yeah, yeah. from a family of seven kids. Yeah. So yeah my okay. dad come from a family of nine kids. So yeah. okay. We're actually downsizing. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I, Give it another I generation. <laughs> but I'm the opposite. I come from a family of three kids and then okay. I ended up with five kids. So yeah. anyways. Very good. Yeah. Last question, guys. If we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you had had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Well, I think we were talking about just like, we want to be able to say like, I'm just thinking like next year, say you came back. Yep. Successfully being able to handle this scaling up for the fresh is going to be a kind of a big hurdle for us. If we can get this kind of figured out, because right now I'm kind of stressed about <laughs> stressed about the purpose, um, just because we've kind of committed to something and I, I hope it, it does well. But if we can get that going and it's like, you know, a fine working machine and then yep. we've got it going, then I feel like that's a huge win. Um, and then just like, yeah, I'm hoping that the launch into bigger retail will be successful. I think such a brand, it's challenging in the sense that we, we're not that known. People might be hesitant to try our stuff just sitting on a shelf. Yeah. So I feel like it's going to be taking some creative marketing um, to get people to know us. I think our story will sell yeah. our, our product. Yeah. But until you have that connection, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit like, hmm, we'll see. So, so you asked the question about if this was your best year ever. So if you understand anything about a farmer, <laughs> next year we're always optimists. <laughs> we're always optimists. Okay, we we can have a year where fifty percent of our crop gets taken out by a frost or or a pest or whatever, right? Yeah. And we just be like, well, maybe next, next year. year. Next yeah. year will be better, you yeah. know. And it's funny because I catch myself saying that, but I talk to other farmers and they say the same thing. Next year will be better. Yeah. So I don't know if we measure the success of our farm in terms of the dollar value that it turns over. I think it's just, just bringing your fruit to a successful harvest because in a commodity based business, there's things that aren't in your control. The, the price of the commodity is not in our control, mm -hmm. right? We've, we've had years where we've gotten 55 cents us a pound at a dollar 40 exchange rate. And we've had years where we've gotten 21 cents a pound at a par dollar. You know, the, the difference in values mm. are significant, it's huge. Yeah. But just bringing your crop to a successful harvest and for us, you know, being able to entertain the tours and, and still deal with the, the retail side of things, you know, I would measure success in if everything goes smoothly yeah. That's exactly <laughs> my point. at the end yeah. of, at the end of October, we could sit back and look at it and say, oh, you know, we had a good year dollar wise, but you know, thankfully nobody got hurt and we had yeah. no, 
big you hiccups. Know, no big hiccups along yeah. the way. Yeah. I, and I mean, we, we have goals. We want to double, you know, the sales of our products per se, but like I said, it's not our bread and butter. Our bread and butter is still our wholesale farming. So yeah, yeah I, I think the goal is to grow this side of our business. Um, that would be part of maybe a successful year in that it's taking on more of its own and that we can pay ourselves more because <laughs> we yeah. haven't really been paying ourselves other than just, you know, living off of uh, what the farm makes, but, um, yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> and you've got a beautiful place for the kids to run around in between now. And yeah. Now well. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Home is great. Like yeah. that way. Right. So yeah. except, for the, except for the mozzies. This year. Yeah. The mozzies. Oh, I've never oh, been eaten alive. Like I did when I was up at the lake. I, yeah. I got eaten badly yeah. 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 Oh, yeah no no you come here we'll we'll that's we'll a daily occurrence here <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and yeah, so it's two it weeks ago it. and i'm still recovering i've still got sores on my legs luckily the kids hardly got touched like they got bitten oh. but not like me i don't know oh, they just, yeah they went to town on my legs <laughs> yeah well the, it's a weird year like riverside yeah. is like literally where we are we're yeah, right yeah. beside the fraser yeah. right yeah, yeah. so and the freshet being so high this year yeah it's like the perfect breeding ground perfect storm yeah but, awesome uh, guys well listen if anybody wanted to get in touch or head along to your harvest this year what's the best way for people to find out um so social media is always really great ways we're yep. on instagram and facebook uh otherwise emails we're we're old school that way we'll, we'll awesome. uh, answer any we always get these random people asking questions so yeah yep. riverside cranberries at gmail.com or at the riverside bog or yeah our website too perfect yeah, the website riverside.ca perfect i'll put everything down in the show notes so everybody just scroll on down and click on the link and you'll find brian and mandy there uh awesome guys thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate the conversation and everything that you guys are doing is amazing and i'm really looking forward to heading out to the harvest myself this year with the kids and and my wife ash it'll be fun awesome thank you hayden all right thanks for your time bye all right see ya bye Thanks again for taking the time out of your busy day to join me for today's episode. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation or if you've got any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn or Instagram at thepackheavypodcast. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you with your business and your packaging vision, feel free to drop me a line and we'll continue the conversation there too. I'll see you next week.